Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the In Context and Culture podcast. So glad that you are joining us once again. It's been a while. We have not had the time to record in the past few weeks. Uh, our lives have just been busy and pastoral work. And so uh, it is good to well, not really see you again, but see Corey again. And hopefully um, you have caught up with us on our study of the book of Revelation. Uh, today, we're going to take just a brief pause from the book of Revelation and our study through it. Uh, to talk through the upcoming Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, Corey and I both um, pastor and serve in Southern Baptist churches. So for a moment here, I want to talk about the Southern Baptist Convention, but also with the Southern Baptist Convention in mind, uh, which is, Corey, help me out, I think June the is it 13th to the 17th, am I right? Well, yeah, the SEND conference is the 13th and 14th, uh, and then that would be the 15th and the 16th. 15th and 16th. So. Yeah. So with that, um, only about a month from us, less than a month away, um, there's some different things going into the convention this year, I think, that will cause probably some contention um, between different groups of people, between different churches, and between different ideologies. And so we wanted to come on this podcast together, uh, not as doomsdayers for the SBC saying that everything's going to fall apart. Uh, we're not trying to even stoke the fire for different camps and different groups of people that kind of fit into different factions. Um, but rather, we just kind of want to lay before everyone listening, especially those involved in the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, what will most likely be some large issues that are discussed and may be discussed with some contention over different viewpoints. Um, we want to be very carefully um, uh, addressing these things um, and prayerfully in addressing them, uh, we may see them carefully addressed um, and address biblically the convention without any dissension or division coming out from the convention this year. So um, those three um, areas that we want to kind of talk about are first and foremost, um, CRT and interse intersectionality. Um, we are not professionals when it comes to understanding CRT, but we've done our own study of that. Corey, you've spent plenty of time studying it. Um, we're going to talk about women in the pastorate or women elders. Uh, and then we're going to talk about just some different factions that already exist within the Southern Baptist Convention, different groups uh, that have different opinions on different things and different ideas that they want to see um, take place in the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, we'll see how that's represented by the presidents that are coming into the convention this year. And we'll also see different entities that um, uh, may receive some pushback for different reasons this year. So um, CRT, women in the pastorate, and then um, entities, entity heads, and factions as the three things that we want to talk through. Let me just say something, Corey, and, and help me out in saying this before we talk about uh, our first topic, that being CRT, and you lead that discussion. Um, <clears throat> the Southern Baptist Convention, what a lot of people I don't think understand, but needs to probably just be said again, it's often referred to as a denomination. And uh, especially like when you see something online and you got to pick your denomination of what denomination you're a part of, you pick the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, however, the Southern Baptist Convention is very unique um, uh, alongside of any other denomination because it's not technically a denomination. It's a convention. It's a gathering of people who unite for a common goal um, of sending missionaries out um, through the International Mission Board and North American Mission Board using a program we call the Cooperative Program, all under um, a statement that unifies us called the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. <clears throat> so this is churches who agree upon doctrinally what are first level issues that are stated in the Baptist Faith and Message. You gather once a year. So the Southern Baptist Convention technically only exists once a year for two days. Um, we make decisions that will represent these churches, our churches, um, and uh, decisions that pertain to allocating funds for missionaries, allocating funds for entities like the, we have six seminaries, or am I right, six seminaries? Six, yeah. Six mm -hmm. seminaries, um, and, and different things like that. So um, that's helpful. I think to know from the forefront, anything you also you want to say about the Southern Baptist Convention in general? Well, you said it only um, it only operates two days a year. In absence of that can, of that annual meeting happening, the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention is the one that does the day to day, takes care of the day to day operations of that. Um, 
the executive director. I believe that's his title. No, maybe it's the president of the executive committee is Ronnie Floyd. And so he's kind of the kind of the face of the SBC along with the president who is elected um, by the convention each year. Those two men are kind of the, the face of the SBC on a day-to-day basis. So would you say the president of the executive committee does more of the day-to-day work while as the pr- um, president of the SBC, which is an elected position, not a hired position, um, to my knowledge, there's no money that anyone receives for being the president of no. the um, Southern Baptist Convention, is, is in, in a sense a, a figurehead, is a spokesperson, and does have some responsibilities as well, but in many ways will be the one that talks about the Southern Baptist Convention uh, when um, there's different things going on, maybe in the New York Times or something like that. J.D. Greer is our current mm-hmm. president. Uh, you mentioned to me before that one specific um, uh, responsibility they have and maybe even said power that they have is um, recommending and appointing um, different entity heads or entity trustees, I think is what you said. Is that right? Entity trustees, yeah. Okay. Um, they, we would... I believe I'm correct in saying that the, that the annual meeting, the messengers for the annual meeting would elect um, or, or at least affirm entity heads, uh, whereas uh, the president will be the one that will nominate trustees to those particular entities. And so that's that's a pretty significant thing that the president of the SBC does because whoever the trustees are of those entities will, in essence, set the, set the direction um, and you know, make personnel uh, recommendations and changes as needed uh, over the course of time. So that's a pretty important thing that he does there. So, so Corey, let me me think through this. Why it would be so important for us to talk about the SBC um, and why someone who is not SBC, who's listening to this podcast, may be interested in this is that if I remember correctly, I don't have the statistics in front of me. I think there are like 49 thousand different SBC churches across the world. Does that sound right? Um, I think the last figure I saw was 46, but yeah, I mean, okay. in that neighborhood. Okay. Yeah. Somewhere on that range. Um, so if you um, are talking about a convention, this is an incredibly large large convention. There are churches that don't have Baptist in their name that are a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, there are churches that are um, well-known by their pastors that are leading them. Churches like Rick Warren at Saddleback Church. It's a part of the SB, uh, Southern Baptist Convention. Um, Matt Chandler, uh, part of the Southern Baptist Convention. J.D. Greer, part of the Southern Baptist Convention. David Platt, a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. So a lot of authors you maybe heard about, um, if you don't know anything about Southern Baptists, um, are a part of this group, this convention that gathers together for the sake of missions. In fact, David Platt was the former IMB president of the Southern Baptist Convention. So this does matter because... Um, the way in which we're represented, I think, as this large group of churches across the United States of America does impact, I think, the church's witness across America as a whole, just as if the PCA makes a big uh, statement about what they believe about homosexuality or LGBTQ issues. Um, that goes in the paper, and that is you know, a statement about, okay, we're quote-unquote Christians, and we think this, or whatever it might be. So, um, at the current time, I would say the Southern Baptist Convention is probably one of the largest um, conventions put next to denominations that um, has remained conservative as far as biblical interpretation being um, that God has inspired every word, that it's infallible and errant and sufficient for life and godliness. Um, so far, we have not in any way capitulated on um uh, uh, any sort of LGBTQ issues uh, that we do believe um, that while there is grace for every sinner who repents and trusts the Lord, that um, homosexuality is in fact sinful. Um, and, and we've seen just a lot of different denominations kind of capitulate with culture, I think, in that area. Mm-hmm. And SBC so far has, has not, thankfully. Um, so I think this, this conversation is important. Now, the issues at hand, CRT, critical race theory, or intersectionality, which we have seen talked about all over social media, whether you're a believer or not, you've heard probably those phrases or heard that word intersectionality. Um, you've heard of different people like Ibrahim Kendi, or maybe you've heard of the book called White Fragility. Um, so Corey, talk to me about Resolution 9. Talk to me about CRT. Why is this the first of three issues we're going to talk about that will come up at SBC? And I'm going to eat well, salad um, while you at, talk about it. Okay. At the last SBC annual meeting in Birmingham in 2019, uh, there was a resolution brought to the floor concerning critical race theory and intersectionality. And um, there are many things that, that went into that. 
but what, what eventually the messengers approved was that a resolution that said that the critical race theory and intersectionality could be used as an analytical tool um, to help us understand certain people groups um, and then with the, with the purpose of reaching them with the gospel. Um, one of the reasons it's such a big deal in the convention right now is because it's my belief. I was at that, uh, I was at that convention. It's my belief that the majority of the messengers probably 98 to 99% did not understand at that point what critical race theory was, uh, what intersectionality uh, was, is. Um, and so that resolution got passed and then many people began to understand what critical race theory and intersectionality is and saw that it is an ideology and a worldview in itself. And um, it, it has origins back to um, back to, I guess, Marxist theory. It really comes out of critical theory, which began in law schools. And, and now it's got legs in many different areas. Uh, but critical theory in itself is the idea that there is the ruling class, the majority, and then there's the oppressed. And okay. so before you, before um, you go farther and talking about what it is, can I just ask this? Um, about resolution nine, resolution nine, different from a motion. Did that mean that we adopted um, this teaching as to be put place in all of our seminaries? What is a resolution real fast? Is that, is, can I ask that question? Well, a resolution addresses, it, it doesn't have anything. It doesn't have any binding authority. Technically it's just saying, Hey, this is what we, Affirm as um, a group of people. Affirm right. as a convention, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, no, it did not have any binding authority on a seminary or any entities or even any churches because really the SBC is made up, as you mentioned a minute ago, of autonomous churches. And so, like, this does not have authority that, that certain churches have to do this or that. <clears throat> but it is saying that we collectively – are resolved in this direction to address this particular cultural issue at the time. And this matters because of course we could go back to any statement mattering, right? Um, mm -hmm. If there's a particular Presbyterian denomination that has adopted certain views on homosexuality while they don't in uh, while that particular is all an illustration, right? While that particular um denomination might not enforce that there are LGBTQ pastors in every church. Um, they are as a whole collectively, all the churches saying God's word doesn't say this God's word says this. So statements like this matter. And this was a part of a statement in resolution nine that we are okay with and affirm that uh, critical race theory can and should be used as a analytical tool for unity and gospel proclamation. Am I right? Right, right. And you, you know, you talked about it, it, where it comes from, and oppressed versus oppressor. So, what did, what do you mean by that? Well, I tell you what. Before I get there, let me let me just say, um, since since that time in Birmingham, one of the things that's come out is the the resolution. It was submitted to the resolutions committee, and the re it can either die in resolutions committee, it can come out as it was submitted, or it can be changed and presented um, by the resolutions committee. And, and what was presented to the resolutions committee is, is 180 degrees different than what came out of the resolutions committee, because what was presented to the resolutions committee was a, uh, was a resolution that would, that would be against critical race theory and intersectionality, the use of it in any of our seminaries or entities or, or denominational work, um, because it is believed to be um, coming from Marxist theory, which would say there is the oppressed and the oppressor. And, and that because um, certain people benefit from the majority position, then um, they, they want that to remain in place. Um, and intersectionality is basically that if somebody has these different identities, the more they intersect with these different identities, the more they are oppressed. And so uh, at, the, at the top of the food chain, the majority culture would be the white male. And then um, if, if there's other intersections, such as uh, a woman would be 
uh, would be below uh, a man. And so they're, they're saying that she, that's one intersection. Well, if it's a minority group, uh, say African-American woman, then those are two intersections. And so the more intersections that you have, the more a person is oppressed by the majority group. And so, um, like I said, this comes out of um, Marx's theory and really is designed to keep people divided. Um, and in it, there is no, there is no salvation. There is no winning. There's only just continual repentance for, for actions of people that may, maybe you didn't even commit certain sins, but because you're part of the group that did commit those sins, then you have to continually repent of them. And so there's a, there's a lot of things involved in this that I really don't have time to go into uh, on this podcast. But uh, suffice it to say that whenever we're talking about um, racial reconciliation and those kind of things, to use CRT would be anti-gospel. Um, CRT is something that is not compatible with the gospel. In fact, the seminary presidents uh, came out with a statement saying that very thing that it was that it was not compatible with the gospel uh, because uh, it doesn't base a person's guilt or innocence on their their personal sins, but makes them part of this corporate identity uh, that makes makes one guilty for the sins of others. And so there's no way to ever escape that. There's only just the continual need to confess and repent. Um, but, but that doesn't change anything for the individual. It still makes them a part of that guilty majority. And so that, that uh, is just a brief explanation. And so you may have questions for me uh, in regard to yeah. that. <clears throat> yeah. So I, I'd hear all online, right? Some groups that say, well, CRT is not that bad. And then CRT is basically anti-gospel. And I think why there's these big conclusions here is CRT is not just a tool at the end of the day. It does contain within it a worldview um, that pertains to all of life. It pertains to how we understand grace and how we understand repentance and how we understand restitution, um, you know, scriptural restitution and how we understand um, uh, forgiveness and bias and partiality. Right. Um, so, uh, would you say, and, and I'm asking this because I would agree with it, would you agree with me and say that the reason you do not like CRT and want to reject CRT is not because you don't want to see unity and diversity and is not because um, uh, you don't like those that may project CRT, right? Um, but because you think it actually um, will adopting it make us more divided racially than, um, than it does actually unite us? Can I say it that way? Yeah, I, I think I would definitely agree with that. And I, I don't think it's just along racial lines. I mean, I think there is that element of it. But whenever you're talking sure. about critical theory, there could be all kinds of different divisions. But, but sexual identity, yes, male, female, um, and, gender. But but primarily, what's come up is is racial issues because. I mean, we know the the history of the Southern Baptist Convention and part of the reason it was founded and all of those things. And so there is a there is um, a blot on our history, and like we can admit that and be um, and and be forthright about that. But what we want is to bring we want to bring people together in unity around the gospel because the gospel is sufficient to do that. I mean, Ephesians chapter two says that Christ has broken down the, the, the dividing wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles, bring it, making one new man out of the two. And so, you know, like we, we talk about the, the African-American white issue in, in the United States. And you and I have talked about this before. I'm not, yes, that was, it was terrible. And um, the oppression and the slavery and all of those things that happened, but looking back at, uh, at the Jew Gentile separation, it was just as severe 
Um, I, I don't know if I would say more so, but equally as severe as what we had, I believe, in a colonial or revolutionary period in America. Uh, and, and even what we're experiencing uh, in, in the race divide in America right now. And so I think the gospel is the solution. And to, to say that you need something, you, you need gospel plus something, I think is, is anti-biblical to, to bring about that reconciliation. And, that, and what I mean by that is not that, yes, we're just going to preach the gospel and not do anything else. I think the gospel is sufficient to bring about the change in people's hearts, which will then bring about change in people's actions. And so uh, trying, trying to bring a worldly philosophy alongside the gospel, I don't think is beneficial because I think anytime you try to add to the gospel, it, it waters down and dilutes the gospel. Um, yeah. So let me, let me say a few things about it. Cause I just wrote down that I think, I think people throw out against gospel, against gospel a lot. And, and I just want to pinpoint a few areas that I think it would, um, it's harmful for the, to the individual. I think it's, as you mentioned, it's harmful for actual unity in the future at all, because it does intentionally separate. It, it is, it is very segregated as far as what you need to teach white people about what they need to understand and how you need to help black people. I mean, that in its own nature is partial, which is where we understand what racism comes from, right? Partialism, which the Bible right. is against. So we are against racism because we are against partialism and because we believe the gospel can unite um, uh, where sin has divided. Babel was spread apart because they're of pride. Um, God will unite in himself a people from every tribe, nation, tongue, and language saying worthy is the land. They'll be united around the gospel, not because of um, uh, a certain uh, method, but because of a certain message, right? So a few different things here I think are just important. Um, if you are a, a white individual at the current time, you might be considered in um, uh, the book White Fragility as the oppressor. And there's nothing really you can do to not be the oppressor if you have more money than the minority or more power than the minority um, across the board. There's more white people wealthy than black people wealthy, right? Um, and so uh, because you are complicit because of something you can't change within yourself, God made me white and made my uh, one of my good friends uh, black. Um, I will always be one that oppresses him, uh, even though we're united on church on Sunday and share um, a, a message of forgiveness and sing about being free from the slavery of sin. Um, I am standing next to him as his oppressor um, in this ideology. Um, and because I'm white and I can't just make myself be black by hoping that I would be black, I will remain his oppressor until all of the people that are white no longer have the money and power like they did. And all the people that are black do. And then uh, according to this ideology, then there will be once again, the same problem. There will be an oppressor and they'll be the oppressed. The problem is there's complicit bias here is I'm complicit in racism when I love my black brother that we've been united with and we're brothers and sisters in Christ. So I cannot get rid of guilt because guilt is in a part um, based upon how God created me. Yeah. So you'll have to wish to not be a certain way God created you. And, and that's, that's a sad place to live because there's no forgiveness there. There's no grace, none. Right. The second place is I, I think, um, um, and let me just be clear on this. I think our black brothers and sisters have faced um, partialism in the past. I mean, I've been to Southern Absolutely. Baptist churches where there's down the same road um, pro, uh, rebel pride flags, right? Um, that There is racism that exists. We would be imbeciles to say that there's not racism that still exists. Um but I would say that if the goal for a certain group of people because of the color of their skin or because of how they identify or because their, their gender is male or female, two genders that we would say that God has created, um, that if their goal in life to kind of go, is to go against those who are the oppressor and they can't do it, they um, basically have a, a goal they can't meet. So there's no contentment that can be had there. Right. And so how do you think through, okay, Paul was content with nothing. 
because he had Christ. Then how do you also think of the gospel unifying us and, 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 and even using, I mean, Galatians 3, unifying Scythian and slave and free man and, uh, and slave and male and female. They're all one in Christ Jesus. There's our unity. And so it doesn't say, okay, here's the better, here's the not as good, or here's the oppressor and here's, which would be racist. And here, here's then this other racist theory called CRT. It's here's the, the man that the woman needs to kind of co-opt the man. No, it just kind of joins them together as, hey, your present state, you are unified in Christ. So that might be a few good reasons to pinpoint, okay, this was, this was, these are things that don't offer the grace and forgiveness of the gospel and don't offer the contentment that's found in Christ. Yeah. And, and you know, I think another thing that is, is harmful mm-hmm. about the whole ideology of CRT and intersectionality is that it causes a person to put their identity in themselves and different things about themselves rather than putting their identity in Christ. And that's not to ignore the diversity in which God made us because there's beauty in the diversity. I mean, you know, you think about that, that scene in revelation where every tribe language, people and nation will be gathered around in the throne, praising God. Like that is a beautiful tapestry of God that he's created for his own glory. And so we don't ignore the differences that we have, but we don't find our identity in them either. Um, because he is our identity. We are united to Christ, um, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Like our whole identity is follower of Jesus, saved by Jesus. And so that, that needs to be primary in our lives. Anything else you want to say as far as CRT goes, as far as what it's going to look like, maybe? Um, well, well, I will say that uh, is in regard to the SBC, I know that gentleman has said that he is going to get up and make a motion that we repeal um, <clears throat> Resolution 9. And so that will be something that will come up at, uh, at the uh, annual meeting this year. And um, well, I would just call on everybody that's listening to us right now to be praying for that, um, that God would um, intervene and that there would not be um, division that would result from this annual meeting, that there would be a coming together centered around the gospel. Um, and, and we can find a way to take what looks like is going to something that's going to be very divisive and, and glorify God in it. Um, because, you know, humanly speaking, uh, I look at it and I think, man, I don't see any way that this is not going to be explosive, but, God's bigger than that. And so we, we would pray that God would, would do that work uh, in the hearts of men and women that are there. That's good. Um, <clears throat> second issue that we want to talk about is, is just women in the pastorate. Um, Corey, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it seems it's becoming very popular with church plants and with large churches for a pastor and his wife to be called the pastors of the church. Um, Mm-hmm. While this is becoming more popular, this isn't something really new. Um, uh, there's been people who've argued um, throughout church history as it pertains to the doctrine of the local church called um, ecclesiology, that um, the Bible does not restrict women from the pastorate or the eldership. Um, uh, this position is often called egalitarianism, <clears throat> as opposed to the position that um, uh, the eldership or the pastorate is reserved for a qualified male, which would be called complementarianism. So this is a historical argument with complementarianism being the predominantly represented uh, um, position and held position throughout church history. Um, a lot of people will argue against that and say, well, complementarianism is new. Um, the word is new, but if you look at church history, um, primarily all churches understand um, in mass uh, a complementarian perspective, that being that um, the office of elder or the office of pastor used synonymously here because I think the Bible does present it as synonymously that pastors are elders, is reserved for a qualified male. Um, let me say at the forefront here that I have good friends that are egalitarian. I do disagree with their perspective um, and interpretation of the passages that they look at, but I do not think that they're unbelievers. Um, uh, 
I think the SBC is very clear on the position we hold in this. If you look at um, uh, number six, we have, um, if I remember right, we have 17 uh, different headings for the beliefs of the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. When it was revised in 2000, it was made clear in a statement that says, um, and I don't quote it here because I don't have it in front of me, but basically says that um, while men and women are both gifted for service in the church, uh, the office of pastor is reserved for men qualified by scripture. And I think that's almost word for word because I read it just yesterday. So um, I would just say that I think it's unhelpful in some sense that we, um, as a Southern Baptist Convention, have adopted the term um, pastor as the main term for the one functioning in that office. Because if you look in the Bible, the office is called elder. What they do is they oversee, but how they do it is they shepherd. That word pastor, they shepherd. Um, and so um, I'm not disagreeing with SBC on this, but just when you see your Bible elder, it means pastor. Uh, that's the office we're talking about. And that's the office that the SBT, SBC intends to um, talk about the leader of the church or the leaders of the church. And that's necessary to say for just this moment, um, not because I'm just trying to teach, but because just recently an SBC church uh, nominated or commissioned, they said elders and ordained pastors as if they're two different groups of people, which they are not biblically. Um, they ordained female pastors and they commissioned male elders, um, which really just confuses um, uh, the congregation on biblical ecclesiology, as well as I think goes against the Baptist faith and message um, uh, intentionally um, because this is a new thing they had done. So just a few things that I think are important here of why we believe um, and do not believe it is harmful to say that the pastor is reserved for men, qualified men. Um, we think it's rooted first and foremost, and I'll be quick here, in God's design of male and female. Uh, if you look at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, he made Adam, and he saw that it was not fit that he should be alone, so he made a helper fit for him, uh, which was, of course, Eve. Um, so they were made for one another. Um, they're made differently, differently uh, biologically, and they're made to fulfill different roles. One is to help one is to lead. And that does not mean that one is um, uh, subordinate in the sense of being lesser in value before God in any sort of way, both equally created in the image of God, um, positionally before God, equal and valuable, both of them in his eyes. We see this continued in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter five, when it talks about marriage, it talks about the man sacrificially loving his wife. It talks about the female, uh, the wife better said, um, uh, serving submissively her husband. This is just like Christ in the church that Christ gave his uh, um, uh, uh, life for uh, his church. And uh, the, the, the husband's supposed to give his life for his wife while the wife is supposed to give her life to her husband. This is a beautiful design designed by God. And not only do we see it in creation and in marriage, but we also see it throughout the New Testament consistently taught um, that it should be understood this way in uh, the home and in the church, right? Um, here's the deal. Jesus was countercultural when it came to truth. He said what he intended to portray every time without pulling punches. Uh, he came to die. He wasn't afraid of cultural norms for important teachings. Uh, and, and there are no words of Jesus in the gospels or epistles that he wanted to rescind that picture of his grand design or redesign that structure. Quite the contrary, uh, he continued teaching what it looks like for man and woman to operate together in his design in the home and the local church. Um, I can just think of a few different passages, 1 Peter 3, uh, Colossians 3, 1 Timothy 2, 1 Corinthians 11, Titus 1, all talking about um, that um, men are supposed to lead in the homes and as well in those passages, uh, many of them uh, saying that um, uh, those that are um, to lead the church in the elder office are qualified men, um, the husbands of one wife. Um, without the opportunity of saying anything about women being in that leadership position with no qualifications giving to women when that leader posi leadership position. First Timothy 2, 
right before it talks about the office of elder talks about the function of an elder um, being that they primarily teach and it commands a woman uh, to not usurp the authority of an elder by teaching aloud in the church gathering fulfilling the function of an elder so we think the bible is very clear on this i will just say that one argument against this position um, is that um, you know god um, had mary and um, another woman preach to the disciples that jesus had resurrected from the tomb um, i think this is a pretty faulty argument um i think this comes from uh boltman i think he had a phrase about um you know you don't think women should should preach or be the pastors in churches but he had they were the first preachers okay so i think every believer is called to preach the good news of the gospel i think that is very clear every um believer is to be a minister of the gospel. In fact, minister means servant, a servant of the gospel. Um, but there are specific roles designated in God's designed local church. And we think that is reserved by scripture um, for qualified men. And to jump from preaching at the tomb to local church governance is a ginormous jump, right? Elders are qualified men only. And let me just say once more again, and I'll stop talking and you can talk, but we're not talking about, um, uh, I think the culture seems to say that for someone to be equal, they have to be uh, exact. That's not how the Bible teaches these things. Um, someone to be equal does not mean they have to be exact. In fact, if God has designed us in specific ways and we usurp that design, um, we're not going to flourish as he designed us to flourish, right? So it would not be equal um, in God's eyes for me to push a sort of equality he is not designed and it would cause someone else to not flourish. So um, we believe that um, positional, um, uh, let me say it this way. Uh, we believe that positional ability is different than prescribed authority. I have learned, for example, on my shelf from a few different uh, ladies. I was just reading a commentary by someone, a lady who wrote first Peter and um a first Peter commentary. I learned a lot from her, um, but she's not a local church pastor. She's not pres uh, presiding over a local church. Um, uh, she's just teaching. And I'm thankful for her uh, uh, doing that in the context in which God has given her um, that context to teach. Um, so can, can I say a few more things, Corey? I know I'm going long, um, sure. but let me say just a few more things. Um, you'll hear it say often, said often, so I think positional ability is different from prescribed authority. Um, there's a lot of different guys who will say online, and, and I agree with their sentiment here. They say, we should focus on what women can do instead of focusing so much on what women can't do in the church. And I would agree with that. Um, but I would say oftentimes the Bible focuses on what they can't do. So if we're focusing on the Bible, sometimes our focus should be on what women can't do if we're teachers of that Bible. And that's an okay thing to do because we're following the instruction of scripture. Why is this so important to SBC? Because Corey, as you've seen and I've seen, um, one of the biggest churches in SBC just ordained three female pastors. That is Saddleback Church. That's no surprise to anyone. A lot of our NAM churches um, that are being planted, I say a lot, a few of our NAM churches that have been planted in recent years have been planted with a male and female pastor, husband and wife. Um, and uh, as you saw, we believe the function of an elder is to lead and preside over the congregation and preaching the word. And over Easter, a ton of our churches, SBC churches, preached um, or had a, a female preach their sermon on Mother's Day. I mean, Houston Second Baptist, if I remember right. Um, well-known church in the Southern Baptist Commission that's existed for a long time, uh, did that very thing. And so this is going to be a pressing concern as we walk into the Southern Baptist Convention. I know I just said a lot. Anything you have thoughts-wise, anything? I didn't really get into the complexities of 1 Corinthians 11. I don't know that we have time to do that, um, but yeah, I, I think and it, I think you brought this out, but just to reiterate, we're not saying in any way that women are not gifted, um, right. even as speakers. I mean, you know, like there, uh, you know, there, there are many women that probably could get up and speak a lot better than I do. Um, but again, it's about, it's about the authority that God has established and the, and the order in which he has prescribed things. And so, 
you know, so like you said a minute ago, somebody's somebody's ability is not the main thing. It's God's qualification of the person. And so, um, so we're not denying that women have a very good place, a very strong place in our churches and that they, they definitely contribute. I mean, I think about the time whenever I was growing up, you, you, you think about the last several decades, uh, people make the argument often that if it weren't for the women, some of the churches would have just ceased to exist. And I, and I think that's probably pretty accurate. And mm. it's because men did not step up and take the responsibility that they should have either in the home or in the church. And still it is difficult as a pastor. And I, I'm sure you experience this too. It's much easier to go out and recruit women to serve in the church mm. than it is men many times. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, so, so part of the problem is not that, um, that we, that we're trying to restrict women serving. Part of the problem is the lack of male res- taking responsibility in the life of the church and in the home. If there mm. would have been more than that, uh, more of that, then that would have been much better. And we probably wouldn't be having these discussions today. Um, can I say, secondly, can I okay, sorry, no, yeah, go ahead. Well, secondly, I would say that there is talk in the SBC of what's called broad complementarianism or soft complementarianism. Some people, yeah, and and some people what they what they view that is like they, it's okay for a woman to get up and preach on a Sunday as long as they are under the authority of the pastor of the church there, and and which I would say I, I don't believe you can separate um, the function out like that. Some people would say, well, they're not in the office of pastor; they're just they're just um, doing the function of it. And, and even last the last SBC, somebody got up and made a motion that we include in the Baptist faith and message, the words office and function. Um, because really it's not the individual that's standing up there that has the authority. It is the word that has the authority. And so if somebody is declaring the authoritative word, I think it's very difficult to, to separate that from, from what they're doing and the role that they're filling at that moment. And so, uh, again, we would not, we would, you and I would not uh, believe that that is okay for uh, a woman to get up and preach uh, to a mixed congregation. Uh, And I can actually remember one of my professors saying one time, whenever he had a discussion with a lady about this and um, his response to her was, you're telling me that, that what God has prescribed for you to, to be able to teach to half of the congregation is not good enough for you, you know, mm. because, because scripture does say that the women are to teach women and, and those kind of things. And so, you know, we're, we're not restricting in any way that the ability or the, the role of women in the church to teach other women, because that is definitely prescribed in, in the scriptures that they do that. And so whenever Whenever you're looking at this soft complementarianism, it looks an awful lot like egalitarianism. Yeah. And so we have to be careful that we don't change the 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 meaning of words just to suit what we want. So yeah, I really appreciate what you said there, um, and I think I would just want to make the point again that um, from what I said was that Jesus was countercultural, and he didn't change his design in this. It even continually pops up in the letters to the churches of how to design their churches after the design of God and male and female um, biological designs, relational design, um, and uh, um, as a picture of who he is. So um, I would say this, though, Jesus was very countercultural in how we as husbands relate to our wives and how we as a church mm-hmm. relate to women. And um, and he was very countercultural in that uh, Rome was often a place of uh, abuse for um, at least husbands to take advantage of their wives. And in First Peter three, while while he tells the wife to serve the husband, submit to the husband, uh, there's this closing remark in First Peter three. I think it's like in verse seven of First Peter three, and he says. You know, husbands love your wives. And then he says, basically, as the weaker vessel or understand them as the weaker vessel. And, you know, a lot of people want to say, well, that is so sexist and toxic for, for the Bible to call women the weaker vessel when they're not realizing that it is prohibiting toxic masculinity 
in that verse, because what it intends to say is that women are the weaker vessel in the way that they've been designed physically. We, we, we know this from army standards. We know this from um, weightlifting competitions. Women biologically in mass are not as strong biologically in mass as men. There's no qualms in me saying that um, because what Peter says here is recognizing that you don't abuse your wife. And if you mm-hmm. do, I will not hear your prayers because you didn't care for the concerns of your wife. I will not care for your concerns. And so God is countercultural in how men, husbands specifically, are to care for their wives. He's very countercultural in how men, women are given roles in ministry, not the pastorate, but in ministry, gifted just as men are by the Holy Spirit to serve in the church, as you said. There's examples of women um, uh, praying. And there's examples of women reading, most likely reading the book of Romans. Um, uh, there's examples of women, I think, in uh, uh, deacon positions personally. Um, there's examples um, of women, uh, a woman uh, with um, her husband teaching Apollos. Hey, this is, you got some things wrong here, Apollos, and what you said. So um, while Jesus was very countercultural in how we ought to relate to women and understand women and their role um, in the church as, as ministers alongside of every member in the church, gifted specifically, um, God has designed his local church in a unique way. And I think when we misunderstand ministry from local church authority, we've just kind of misunderstood, okay, God has designed his local church in the Bible. And it is this grand thing that we need to understand better. So um, uh, I was going to talk about, I, I think, what will what could happen in the SBC. Was it worth mentioning that long text I sent you and Brock in brief about what could happen from the conversations that happen? Or should we keep moving? I think it would be good, although I have no recollection of that text. And so, yeah, yeah, no, I'll, I'll just mention it's short. So I'm just pulling it up right here next to my computer. So the question was posed was, um, it was just my opinion on something or our opinions on something in a group text that we're in. Um, I think you mentioned, okay, uh, what might happen, right, um, in the Southern Baptist Convention if this conversation comes up? And, um, Will there be capitulation? Will there be confrontation? How will it come up? So here's what I said. In my opinion, I don't think that the SBC this year um, will allow women pastors, a.k.a. changing the faith and message from the year 2000 that came out, because it's very clear in there. The sentence says men as qualified by scripture will be pastors at the SBC 2021. I don't think that's going to change in a month from now. Um, I think, and I did say Saddleback here, very uh, clear that they're one of the churches uh, that's being talked about. I think Saddleback will be addressed at the convention and there will be a call to remove them from the SBC, SBC if they have not already removed themselves. I mentioned that I think that will cause fighting at the SBC from the floor, unfortunately. There will be um, disagreement over that subject, people coming to mics. I think our leaders at the current time will stand for pastors only to be um, uh, men, by and large, as qualified by scripture and try to move forward by making a qualified statement um, or sorry, uh, a statement that is that says basically men as qualified by scripture only. We affirm once again what our Baptist faith and message says. I think that that will go public as a um, as a countercultural act and even a hateful act as perceived by the culture on most major news media outlets. I think then that a few churches will leave the SBC and others with the frustration of the convention and the statement that was made will just ordain women as a great righteous liberation act in their churches into many ways, stick it to the man. Um, I think a few of them will be taken out of the SBC over time, but I think it will grow and fester and the SBC may see some decline. The question is, is that whether this this decline over the next few years will um, lead us to a theological shift to prohibit decline or a future split. This is the thoughts I have. Um, I could be wrong, but um, I think that if we are going to go into the direction of disagreeing with what our Baptist faith and message 2000 says about men and men alone as qualified by scripture, fulfilling that role, that would be the direction that it will take place. It won't take place this year. It will take place over time by frustrated churches and a response from our conviction leaders to say, we don't want to lose that many churches. Um, I hope that's not the case. I don't think that will be the case. I pray that's not the case. um, If we do believe in fact, the Bible teaches what it says. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that statement. And I think that um, I, I do think it has to be addressed because like in addition to the Saddleback Church that you mentioned, two other churches. So the top three, the three largest churches in the Southern Baptist Convention now have women pastors on their staff mm. being Saddleback, Elevation Church, and Lake Point, I believe in Dallas. And so, um, and, and all of that goes back to what you said at the very beginning is there's, there's sometimes people that, that separate out the, what they call the lead or the senior pastor in a church and try to say, well, sometimes these others aren't the leader, senior pastor, so it doesn't matter. But again, all of the, there, there's one term there or there's one designation in the scriptures for pastor it's pastor elder um and and that's one office is what i mean and so to say that a youth pastor or a children's pastor or anything like that is somehow less than the senior pastor is not in accord with the scriptures Mm -hmm. um if they're not qualified to be um a gospel preacher, a, a pastor of a local church, then they shouldn't be called that no matter who they're serving. Uh, Titles matter because it confuses people when they read scripture. Absolutely. Right. Right. Words yeah. matter because of the words that scripture uses. And mm-hmm. so if we read that the scripture gives this ability for this role um, and, and how we respond to that role and we're using that same word for someone that's not maybe a pastor or functioning as a pastor or should be right. functioning as a fact pastor, then I've become confused as a church member. Right. Yeah. Hey, lastly, and I think we can be sort of quick on this. We talked about CRT. We talked about women in the pastorate. Now let's talk about just for a moment, um, different factions coming into the SBC. Um, do you want to just take um, a stab at that? Just kind of talk a little bit about what we mean by that different groups that exist and different, maybe presidents because we do have a presidential election here in 2021 who will represent the SBC and our four representatives potential representatives um, the candidates are all way different from one another as far as what they deem the most pressing issue in the SBC yeah definitely um, there are there are um, divisions as we've already uh, talked about um, or factions. And, um, you know, you, you've got a group called the Conservative Baptist Network um, that has been formed within the SBC. You also have a group called the Founders Ministries that is kind of a group of pastors and um, within the SBC. And, um, and so you have these different groups that represent their special interests, if you will. And I believe that we see the reflection of that in the four presidential candidates. Um, and the four candidates you have are um, Albert Moeller, who's the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, you have Randy Adams, who's the executive director of the Northwest Baptist Association or Benches. Um, you've got Ed Litton, who is pastor of Redeemer Church. Oh, no, it's Redemption Church, I'm sorry, in, uh, I believe, Mobile, uh, Alabama. And then um, you've got Mike Stone, who is a pastor of a church in Blackshire, Georgia. Um, Mike Stone, I believe, is very involved in the Conservative Baptist Network. Um, Ed Litton is very involved in racial reconciliation there in Mobile. Uh, Randy Adams is kind of running on a platform of transparency because there have been some issues in um, the various entities of the SBC. Most notably in his case, he points out in the North American Mission Board. Um, And then uh, what was the one you said basically would characterize uh, Dr. Moeller, you think? Um, I just think doctrinal fidelity and um, agreement with the Baptist faith and message. So, um, you know, he's, he's going to be talking about women pastors and things like that. He's already talked about it very clearly. That's very important for us to talk about as we go into this convention, he wrote a, um, a blog on that as well as had a podcast. So he's going to be very connected to Baptist faith and message. As you said, Ed Litton's rest for reconciliation, um, Randy Adams, uh, lack of accountability and entities. So he really wants to do a big sweep of things. Um, and Mike Stone being, you mentioned he's part of CBN, the Conservative Baptist Network. His big concern is CRT. So you've got, as you mentioned, these different presidents are kind of characterizing 
different factions that exist within the SBC right now. Um, uh, and, and we're not downplaying one versus the other or trying to pin them against one another, but it, factions exist where um, people feel that the most pressing issue is one thing, um, whereas others think the most pressing issue is another, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So um, some people in the convention right now are thinking that CRT is the most pressing issue. Some are thinking that um, women in the past is the most pressing issue. Others are thinking that racial reconciliation should be the most pressing issues. Others, sexual abuse being the most pressing issue. So um, we see factions because of that. Ministry started out of that. Um, uh, political drift um, to yes. um, uh, liberal drift in, in politics. Uh, many people think the ERLC has become very, very liberal politically. Um, I don't know that I want to comment on my thoughts on that, but um, and so there's groups that have formed probably the Conservative Best Network, for example. I don't want to point the reason that I don't know that they formed, but um, they seem to speak um, very clear that they're politically a certain way and they have concerns about policies and, and, and statements made by the ERLC. So, um, yeah. Anything you want to say to that? Well, no, I think you brought up the thing I was going to say is, <clears throat> is that part, part of my um, soul is grieving over the fact that I believe that the SBC, unfortunately, instead of standing out from the culture is reflective of the culture in the fact that we are divided into these different factions and, and some of it is over politics and, and those kind of things. And that grieves my heart because like, we should be distinct from that. We should be unified. I mean, you and I both have taught your first Corinthians pretty recently and mm-hmm. you see the divisions there and, and granted the, the annual meeting, the convention itself mm-hmm. is not a local church. So I'm not trying to compare the two. Right. But whenever we're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, like it should not be, and especially whenever we're, we're looking at this presidential election at the SBC, uh, we should not be saying, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or good. fill in the That's blank really of whatever presidential candidate you want there. Um, like we should we should all be following Christ. And like our, our first prayer should not be, what are these, what are their positions on, this and this and this. Not that those things are unimportant, but our first prayer should be, God, who do you want to lead this convention that would bring you the most glory, that would stay closely, most closely to the scriptures? Because, you know, like we're fallible men and we're not going to get things always right. Mm-hmm. Um, whoever we put in the presidency is not going to get everything right, no matter who they are. Um but we want them to be somebody that's going to bow their knee to the will of King Jesus and, and lead our convention in a direction that glorifies and honors him. And so, um, you know, we, we, we don't need, we don't need to sacrifice biblical fidelity for the sake of unity. We want unity in biblical fidelity. Mm -hmm. Uh, we, We want to hold the scriptures as primary and be unified around them and not just to be unified for the sake of unity, because you can be unified in error all day long, uh, and it does not honor the Lord. Sounds good. Yeah, that's a good word. That's a good word. I would say out of the three of these issues, as we're just summarizing them, that um, issues one and two, CRT and women, the pastorate, are going to be um, talked about throughout the whole um, gathering and talked about in the whole gathering. Um, but the third, the factions that exist, I think are going to be felt within the gathering. Um, yeah. There might be something said by either ones, but that's just going to be felt. And, you know, prayerfully at this convention, we can uh, go after um, what we need to go after. Uh, we can embrace what we need to embrace. And we can unify as a people that uh, ultimately put the gospel, as J.D. Greer says, you know, above all. So, um Prayerfully, this is a God-glorifying event, and even if there is bad media response, may it be um, not because of our anger, but because of our stand for truth. It's good. Want to close this out? You bet. Uh, we just want to thank you for uh, joining us again this week, and uh, we 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 titled some of the other ones after we got off Revelation. Um, 
going down the rabbit hole. We have gone down the rabbit hole of the SBC for sure this time. And uh, we, we had even talked about possibly doing a podcast from the SBC. So that may be in the, in the future. So be listening for that. Uh, from we'll our really nice swanky hotel rooms. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm staying in the VRBO, so whatever. Oh, um, man. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but, uh, Anyway, I'll be listening for future uh, episodes on Revelation as we get back into that. And uh, as always, we're going to ask you to go and give us a good review on those platforms so that more people can join us. And uh, we appreciate you joining in. And as always, we ask you to glorify God in all that you do.